thank you, Simon. And good evening, everyone. And it's a great pleasure to be here with you on this, um, in this really special place. I'm not really familiar with it, but after being through it a little tonight, I am going to become familiar with it. I think it'd be a nice haven for anyone to escape to, for, for even for an afternoon or a day. It's such a wonderful place. And I, I am so pleased to see that it's available for people to just come and, you know, and, and I think for creative people as well, to have a space where they kind of interact with other creative people. It's a wonderful space. And um, I have to congratulate um, Martina Hamilton and Niall Burgess of Foreign Affairs for uh, being responsible really for these uh, special Loyola Bridges um, um, occasions. Uh, we were at the, our first one in London uh, three years ago, and uh, where oh, it was for the lots of the creativity was uh, as the creativity of Irish women so we had women and um, artists writers and from all areas it, it came and the whole embassy in London <coughs> were showing so it was a lovely occasion and it's lovely that it has continued uh, since now to, of course it's wonderful to see that the uh, Martina has appeal to artists to read, become familiar with Eva Gorgoon and to be inspired by her to use their medium to communicate and to express what she's about and especially there's so much about her that can inspire. You know, I see in the, the exhibition, there's 93 papers that are beautiful, small paintings and they're all different and they have a the voice over of quotes from um Ibor Booth's poetry which kind of enlightens why they use this particular image so it's really going to be a, a lovely lovely uh, afternoon for people to spend looking at that exhibition but my sort of part tonight is really to talk about uh, those artists, I'm sure, know a lot about Eva Gorbuthus now, but a lot of people who may not, but I'm speaking about Eva Gorbuthus, and it's such a delight to find her brought out from behind the shadow of her famous sister Constance Markovich, you know. So, and such, uh, you know, it's it's a it's a pity she wasn't more known because she's such an inspirational figure and would be so supportive and as a, a figure for people who get involved in the public space, in the arts, in politics, in trade unionism, everything. Really an, an extraordinary woman. So I, I, I have a, a speech here that um, hopefully won't overload people who may know a lot already about her, but otherwise. So first of all, I want to say that um, Tomorrow is Law Ale Bridge, St. Bridget's Day, so we must pay tribute to uh, Bridget because she was, um, it's a special day, it's a traditional Irish feast dedicated to the patron saint Bridget. And marking the beginning of spring, which is halfway between the uh, winter solstice and the spring equinox, so it's a special time 
of the year. And um, it celebrates women, um, particularly, it, it, it's celebrated by women and it celebrates women, as they said, Princess Day. It's really had become quite a, a, a renewal of that kind of acknowledgement of, of Bridget. And um, so Bridget, both in Irish mythology as a goddess and in Christianity as a saint, is revered as a very powerful, inspirational woman, a miracle worker, a healer, a poet, coming to the aid of those ill and particularly for those having difficulty with childbirth. So, hagiography is full of stories of her power and her miraculous powers and um, her founding of the church in Clodare by miraculously spreading her clothes <coughs> so it covered a great area to build the church on and then her founding of monasteries and holy wells and um, of course we're all familiar with it and still goes on today, the children traditionally make St. Bridget's crosses in school on St. Bridget's Day. They weave uh, fresh rushes into the shape of a cross and then they're displayed in the house to, for a blessing for the following year. So let's say, and particularly indebted to, to um, Nile and the foreign affairs for having, and, and to, and to um, the ambassador in London for having really emphasised this as a, a day of celebration. Um, we, we, or we attended that first one, the first of July, and um, it was a, a lovely occasion. Now, um, so it's entirely opposite, as I said, of a marked temperature day this year, it's a celebration of a great Irish woman born 150 years ago in 1870. Eva Gorbuth was an Irish poet, dramatist, committed suffragist, social worker, and labor activist. Eva was an extraordinary person who led an extraordinary life in turbulent times during many major historical events, both in Ireland and around the world at the end of the 19th and at the beginning of the 20th century. It was a period after the famine and the evictions, and there was a major land agitations and land wars going on. So um, she was, um, the, the Gorboots were major landlords in Sligo, owning about 32,000 acres. And her, father, her grandfather Robert and her father Sir Henry were members of Parliament. And Robert was landlord during the 1845 and 1847 famine, and Henry was landlord during the 79-80 famine. And um, he, Henry knew of the tragedy that the 45-47 famine broke. So when the 79-80 came, he actually got involved and he um, they found it the Drumcliff famine relief effort and opened the Gore Booth food stores to all of the tenants free of charge. And all of the family, including um, Eva, Constance, and the brother Jocelyn, were involved in distributing the food. And Eva is reported at the time to have said, I like to realize what we have to make good.
I don't know that I'm nervous, I've been five out. <laughs> and I think I'm a little bit of a said. Yeah. Now, this surely was the first awakening in the, in the Gorbun's children of um, a consciousness. Uh, even Jocelyn and Constance, and the, uh, they, they were awakened to what famine and poverty meant, and the obligation to take responsibility to doing whatever they could to help. And in later years, they exhibited that care. Eva and Constance, as we know, devoted their lives to um, the public space and to um, political activism. And Jocelyn became involved with uh, Horace Plunkett in the uh, cooperative movement, movement founding the Dream, the Drum uh, Cliff um, Dairy um, and um, Creamery organization and he founded two other creameries as well which was a, a, a very good move forward for the for Irish farming and agriculture. Now even Constance had all the benefits of a privileged upbringing and class they were educated by a Cambridge graduate Miss Noel. They read, wrote poetry, painted, played music, went riding and hunting. They spent the season at the family house in London going to concerts, meeting writers, being presented at court to Queen Victoria, etc., etc. <laughs> and um, then Eva travelled widely with her father all around the world, North and South America, and oh, I beg your pardon. Yeah. Uh, sorry. No. I beg your pardon. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, it gives you a little break from me. And you can bear play mode. But Eva travelled also in Europe with her mother and Constance all around Europe. And um, it's while she was in Europe that she fell ill. So she was uh, sent to Casa Caraggio, which was a place in Italy where it was a kind of a, a healing place. And that was where she met Esther Roper. She was an English woman, mm. and meeting Esther was a defining moment in, for Eva. The relationship would last until her death, sustained Eva's creative and political work throughout her life. They were attracted to each other at first sight, when Esther Roper, standing under an olive tree in the garden, first set eyes on Eva Gorbun. The two women stayed in, in, in um, Italy, uh, talking and walking by the seaside. They talked endlessly, and Esther Roper later wrote that each was attracted to the work and thoughts of the other, and we became friends and companions for life. Eva wrote of their meeting in a poem entitled Travellers, dedicated to Esther, and wrote, was, I not, was it not strange that by the tide of the sea, the jar and hurry of our lives should cease? That under olive boughs we found our peace and all the world's great song in Italy. 
Esther Roper herself was a remarkable woman. She was a political activist. She was the greatest influence on Eva's personal, literary and political life. Esther wrote that from 1898 onwards, we were rarely separated. They were together until Eva's death in 1926. Um, the, uh, Eva went to live with Esther in a red brick house in Manchester. And Esther at this stage was a highly respected campaigner for women's suffrage and a social activist. So she altered the focus of the suffrage movement by building into it a new focus on the needs of working class women. And inspired by Esther, Eva embarked on a dramatic, driven and inspirational life course, which led to her embrace of all the great emancipatory campaigns of the next 30 years. She also, with university settlements, worked to set up dramatic societies for the textile workers so in 1900, she was appointed the co-secretary of the Manchester and Salford Women's Trade Union Council, set up in an attempt to bring trade unionism within the reach of scattered of individuals who were not in organised trade unions. So they helped to form trade unions for women, primarily for the cotton and um, 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 you know, the operatives and the weavers. Now, some women would not, some unions would not allow women to get an apprenticeship because there was a kind of thing that women's place was not in the workshop but in the home. And Eva Gore group, who vehemently combated those such views, advocating for women's financial independence in numerous speeches, letters, and pamphlets. And they're, they're all, all available. And all this, all this information on English life, I have to say, comes from um, Sonia Tiernan's wonderful book, Eva Gore Booth, An Image of Such Politics. It's just a great and inspiring book. I have to say, I knew really nothing about Eva until I read that. And, uh, and Matthew Lee as well, when he, when, when he read it. And he's a, such a great admirer of um, Eva Gore Booth. And when he gave the major lecture in the Trade Union Congress of Britain in, in Congress Hall, London in 1916, he gave it on Eva Gorbunth. And so we are truly indebted to Sonia Tiernan for writing Eva Gorbunth's biography. It took a long time to bring together the vast body of original documents, which are scattered throughout numerous <coughs> archives personal collections, and university libraries. Another remarkable feature of Eva Gorbunth's social and political activism is her connecting the industrial struggles and women's trade unionism with the political battle for women's suffrage. She was convinced that the position of women, both in the home and in the workplace, would not improve until they received the franchise. In other words, there was, in Gorbunth's view, an intrinsic link between women's political disability, their exclusion from responsibilities of national life, and the low wages which were the plight of working women. As she put it, six or seven shillings a week is not a sufficient sum of money to live on. 
This is not the rate of wages that could possibly be enforced upon the enfranchised citizens of a free country. We feel that our industrial status is being brought down. It results from the fact that we have no political power. So Eva and Esther were the first um, to take the issue of women's suffrage out of the preserve of middle-class women and to seek enfranchisement for all women, regardless of their property. Um, you know, for so long you had the valuation and men and women, you had to have property. So to take it out of that, um, <coughs> uh, Eva, women do not want their political power to boast they are the equal of men. They want to sue it for the same purpose as men, to get better conditions. Even led campaigns against legislative proposals that would limit access to women to certain categories of employment claimed as harmful to their health and morals. From 1906, she worked on a campaign to protect the employment of barmaids and who were not unionized. In 1908, she organized the Barmaid Political Defense League to oppose the inclusion in a licensing bill of a section prohibiting women from working in licensed premises. It produced, introduced some 100,000 women would be put out of employment. Winston Churchill had become the central figure in the Barmaid issue in support of getting the bill passed. And was standing in the by-election in Manchester and was confident of re-election, but Eva needed to have him defeated. So she invited Constance to Manchester to organise the campaign. So this was Constance's first serious venture into politics. Eva and Constance launched an intense campaign. Eva organised a striking coach drawn by four white horses to be driven around Manchester by Constance. This attracted huge crowds, and when the campaigns would stop, Eva and Constance would climb onto the roof and give rousing speeches. <laughs> and Constance also spoke at the Coral Exchange. And the Winston Churchill lost his seat. <laughs> and within months, the barmaid's defence overwhelmingly succeeded in their campaign. 294 out of the 355 MPs rejected the bill. The campaign got such attention that it actually brought to people's attention the craziness of it just being a male-dominated political uh, system. And even and Constance, um, now this is about even them, their personal relations, that even Constance were very close and visited and wrote to each other and helped each other out. But Eve was busy, was busy with pacifism because uh, the war was on uh, during the war and was not aware that Constance of Constance part in the 1916 rising. So she only heard of it after Constance was in prison. So when Constance was court-martialed and condemned to death by firing squad, Eva appealed the sentence, contacting Prime Minister Asquith on her behalf. And Jocelyn 
lobbied his local MP, uh, Charles O'Hara, in Sligo, and they were successful. The court recommended that the prisoner be allowed mercy solely on the grounds of her sex. Her death sentence was commuted to penal servitude for life. Eva supported Constance and visited her in prison as often as she was given permission to visit. She defended the motivation of Constance and her friends who were participants in the 1916 rising uh, uh, as being a rebellion against imperial oppression. During the time spent by Constance in various prisons, she and Eva wrote to each other constantly, and uh, as we know, um, a, a Constance illustrated many of Eva's writings and her poetry. Uh, they were close all their lives. Their early and later years were described by W. B. Yeats. I think everyone's probably familiar with it in his poem entitled In Memory of Eva Goldbooth and Constance Markovich. The light of evening, Lissadell, great windows open to the south, two girls in silk kimonos, both beautiful, one a gazelle. Now, Eva was the gazelle. Yeah. And Yeats had great admiration for, for her and he formed a warm relationship and he admired her writing and encouraged her. Uh, but Yeats was, I don't know whether I'm writing something up, but he was incapable of sharing and empathizing and understanding the passions and ideals that motivated Eva and Constance to keep true to their ideals to the end. Later, he continues in his sad poem, but a raving autumn shears blossom from the summer's breeze. The oldest condemned to death, pardoned, dragged out lonely years, conspiring among the ignorant. I know not what the younger dreams, some vague utopia, and she seems, when withered old and skeleton gaunt, an image of such politics. Now, maybe I'm too hard on it, and he's just rebelling <laughs> I don't know, I genuinely do not know, particularly if you have gone, the told you state, if you have gone into the fray of politics. And the title of a Sonia Tiernan's uh, book, the biography, is Eva Gorbuth, An Image of Such Politics. The last line that you read there in the poem. Yeah. Eva spent most of the years of the First World War working for peace and the rights of conscientious objectors and engaged in the anti-conscription movement. She was also in Europe and joining internationally with the, the women and the, the trade unions that were trying to have the war stopped in 1915 and all of this time. And there were huge, huge campaigns going on to try to bring sense to the situation. She was part of the conscription fellowship campaign, defending man's right to his own self and conscience. And when the decision was taken to impose conscription on Ireland, she immediately got active in that campaign as well. Now, uh, she, uh, she also, of course, was, as I say, involved in everything, but just briefly, she was involved with um, the lobbying for Roger Casement and went to court every day during this trial. And she was also engaged in 
campaigns for prison reform. Even for truth, uh, consciousness embraced all the emancipatory tendency of our time. They included the essential roles of role of organized labor, trade union activism, feminism, and recognized how all of these combined to create the promise of democracy. Eva's life and legacy remains with us still. And I think it's very inspiring and very good to, to have it there. Um, when London St. Patrick's Day 2018, the centenary year of Vote for Women, Michael and I visited Eva's grave in uh, St. John's graveyard in Hampstead, where she lies with Esther beside the beautiful St. John's church. Inscribed in her headstone is, Life that is love is God. Thank you very much.